Welcome everyone to the Retail Corner Podcast from Proxima 360. The purpose of our podcast is to bring a relaxed and educational environment to discuss the current retail landscape, best of breed products, and retail business best practices. You will always find us talking with business users, technical resources, and retail experts on how they are and where they are headed. Welcome, everyone, to the Retail Corner Podcast and one more episode. Today, we have Leon Cooperman, an executive in technology with over 20 years of experience. Leon is the CTO at CAST. Welcome, Leon, to the Retail Corner Podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, Carlos. Good to be here. I'm doing fantastic. That's so great to hear. So today, we're going to be talking about cloud and cloud automation and the value added to cloud through AI. But before we kind of kick off and going into that topic, uh, what is the difference right, between being on-prem to going on cloud? Why are so many companies doing this shift uh, in most of the modules that they use within their corporate infrastructure and also within the customer-facing applications that they have? That's a great question, Carlos, and I think we should frame it. Like, let's just go back in history just for a second. If you mm -hmm. go back to 2006 and, uh, or 2005 and you wanted to put up an, uh, a big application that was consumer-facing, let's say a large e-commerce platform or e-commerce site as an example, what would you have to do? Well, you'd have to get data center space and then you'd have to buy a whole bunch of gear and computers and you'd have to put those computers into a co-location and the expenses were all what are called capital expenditures, right? So you'd have to buy, spend a bunch of capital to buy this equipment and then have long-term contracts for data center space without really knowing how far or how quickly your business is going to grow. So it was a large risk. And with the advent of AWS back in 2006 and 2007, they introduced a few services. So one of them was a service called EC2. It uh, stands for Elastic Computing. And the basic idea was very simple. We will let you rent computers of any size for that are billable by the hour. And, mm -hmm. and, we'll do, and we'll let you do that through an API so that you can make that whole experience of setting up your infrastructure programmatic. And that's, that's the industry that we call infrastructure as a service. And what is the value? Like, I, I think that's the core question that you were asking, right, Carlos? The value is, is that you don't have to have this long-term projected planning of, and for startups especially, it's super compelling because you don't have to raise a huge amount of capital and dilute your founding team and your investors for infrastructure plumbing that is not a differentiator to you and your business. Your differentiation is your application, and that's what you need to focus on. So, so from a, from a, from a, so the the shift to cloud is very simple and transparent. Moving computer resources away from on-premise or data center uh, 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 environments to clouds like AWS, Google, or Azure. And the end, end value to you is, is you get to move much more quickly, much more cheaply, cost-effectively, and that makes your business much more agile and reactive to change. Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you so much for explaining that because I think that that brings a lot of value, right? Because everybody's talking about the cloud, everybody's thinking about the cloud, 
but nobody kind of went through the, the learning curve, right? As you well established uh, back in the day, 10, 15 years ago, when you had to have your data center, right? Or a lot of retailers today or a lot of different businesses have their data centers still and they think that is the way to go into the future because they're concerned about the constant fee from a cloud environment, right? But when you look at the cost of failures within having a data center of your own, or renting out a data center outside of, you as well mentioned, the cost just, they're extravagant in comparison to how much you pay on a monthly fee to have cloud and how much you can increase that size or reduce it depending on how much you use, exactly what you said. And so when it comes to cloud, right, I'm making this assumption, and I'm sure you can explain more to us about this, but once you move to cloud, then really what you're more concerned about is controlling, engaging, right? The volumes of how much you need and when you need it. And with that, I'm assuming a lot of automation can be put in place, or are we kind of at the learning curve of that? Yeah, so Carlos, what you're talking about is this concept of auto scaling, right? So scale my infrastructure to the size that I need it to be, and then scale it back when I have peaks, let's say, uh, let's use the holiday season as a, as a great peak example. And then mm -hmm. in July, I don't need all that infrastructure, shrink it back down, and that allows me to spend less and manage less, frankly, uh, for my engineering team, right? So that concept of auto-scaling has been around for years. The challenge is it's not very accurate. Like So, so it's difficult to predict. Uh, and so there's kind of two modes that you can think about. The, the typical mode in the industry that's used is this reactive mode of auto-scaling. When my application feels pressure, that could be pressure in terms of number of visitors to my website or resources that I'm consuming and I'm getting you know, like high watermarks on my graphs, then oh, I yeah. should add some resources. And the, the challenge with that type of pressure-based or reactive approach is that your customers, your end consumers will often feel a degradation in service. They'll feel things are slow because you are slow to react to those. Yeah, you're catching up. You're catching up. And if you're always catching up, then you have this constant lag of your responsiveness. And by the way, that's true in both directions. You're slow in catching up to the, the, the traffic surges. You're also slow in catching up to the over-provisioning that you've done when you don't have that traffic in place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that, the, general, the general concept of auto-scaling has been around, but I think it's evolving and it's evolving with a lot more intelligent automation as we progress uh, to kind of these next levels of sophistication. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, because I, I feel like I've talked to a lot of uh, like business owners and entrepreneurs out there, and they think that this like basic, simple automation, it's enough to get them by, right? Uh, and to your point, very reactionary, right? Nothing preventive, nothing that really impacts a better customer experience at the end of the day. And so when we look at AI and it, when it comes to cloud, what are the, the real benefits that can come to the table, right, uh, for, for all of these uh, business? Yeah, and there's a couple of areas. Obviously, uh, a lot of folks are using machine learning, and I, I'm going to refer to machine learning specifically as a, a branch of AI, just to be very clear, right? There are lots of different research threads for artificial intelligence. We're not talking about general AI where robots rule the world. That's not the, the topic. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not the topic. In that, yeah. We're talking about machine learning. And machine learning, if you want to break it down really simply, is the ability to take a large set of input attributes, like lots of different 
varying, we call them features, and then create a predictive model that will give you with some probability, some certainty of outcome. So for example, a recommendation engine is a good example of machine learning, right? Like I know Carlos likes these red shirts. So, and I know that Leon is a kind of a peer of Carlos across these attributes. So this is a collaborative filtering approach, which is a machine learning topic that mm -hmm. allows me to equate the two and recommend something to Leon that is probably something he'll be interested in. So there's obviously the application side for machine learning, but what I'm really focused on right now is the application of machine learning to help enterprises solve their internal issues with their infrastructure. So let me give you an example. Like there, today's systems are very complicated. Modern software is developed in this approach called microservices architecture. It's a fancy term for saying, let's decompose the program into lots of smaller independent parts. So for example, in the, from an e-commerce perspective, you'll have a shopping cart service, you'll have a recommendation service, you might have a shipping service, you might have a catalog service, and these are all kind of independent moving parts. But all these services have to work together to produce a final outcome for a user experience. Well, when that happens, there's lots of interaction between, uh, as, as web services, there's lots of interaction between, and failure can occur anywhere, and chain reaction failure can occur anywhere. And for a human being to figure out all of those relationships between services, what the consumer demand is, what the infrastructure is doing, is very difficult. So what you end up with is a higher failure rate. So one of the great areas for machine learning application is predicting failure. Um, and so if, like, if I know that uh, I've got these circumstances and therefore I can see that within the next 10 minutes, my application is likely to crash, I can take some proactive action if I raise the alert to the appropriate engineers on call. So that's, mm -hmm. one, big, that's one big area of machine learning that's highly applicable to infrastructure management in the cloud. The one that I'm super focused on is not that yet, um, it's this massive problem of cost overspend in the cloud. So you brought this actually topic up at the very beginning. You said, look, people are concerned. Why would I move from my data center where my costs are super predictable to a cloud where I've heard rumors that it's super expensive? Well, it's only expensive because people use it in a very, it's like a blunt instrument. Like let's just lift and shift everything to the cloud and run it exactly the way we did. And then that causes all of these cost concerns. So with, mm -hmm. this kind of came from my own experience in startup world. Like in, in our last startup, we built, uh, uh, it was a cybersecurity product and we deployed it fully in the cloud. So we didn't have to raise that much money because we were able to deploy everything in AWS in every region. But my problem, Carlos, is every time I brought on a customer, my, my cloud bill would go up, right? And then so mm -hmm. we, it went up, over a hundred X between the time we started the company and the time we kind of wow. sold, sold the business. And so while the product was really well received by analysts and customers, and everyone loved it. And obviously the acquirer was happy, it was Oracle. And, um, and we uh, financially, the investors had a good outcome. We ultimately failed miserably on cloud cost control because we didn't have the tools and automation in place to actually scale these systems dynamically. We were using human beings to make decisions and human beings are highly flawed, especially when it comes to these types of menial tasks. 
We just can't, yeah. just can't keep just can't keep up with the data inflow. So yeah, no, no. and it's not just the amount of of errors they can make, but the amount of time that it will take them right to get into those resolutions that are potentially wrong at the end of the day. Exactly right, and human biased by human emotion and by previous experience, right? Unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. So so when um, so I ha- I had this epiphany that. We can't, so me, you know, me and my CEO would get into it all the time. Every month, <laughs> would come, we were we were scrapping it out. Um, but when we started CAST, I said, look, this is a problem that needs to be solved in the industry for a couple of reasons. There are macroeconomic trends that are going to force us there. And we're actually right in the middle of seeing that uh, kind of unfold, both supply chain issues, and mm-hmm. we're seeing inflation at the same time. So there's price pressure everywhere. And we're seeing folks that are going to be tightening their belts. So like cost reductions are going to be a big theme in the next 12, 18, 24 months. And where can we get those savings? And I believe truly it's in the way people use infrastructure in the cloud. So our customers uh, are seeing on average, so highly unoptimized customers can see 70 to 90%, which is ridiculous savings on on large numbers. Average customers are seeing like kind of 40 to 60% savings. And then highly optimized customers who've already been paying attention can see anywhere between like kind of 15 to 25% savings in their cloud bill through the use of machine learning and automation that we've deployed um, at CAST. Wow, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal that you guys are accomplishing such, such great savings, you know, for, for your customers and for your clients. And and talking about the savings and right and people looking into these cloud options and moving to the cloud and, and the automation of it, what are kind of like the top three tips that you would say for e-commerce, right? Retailers that are looking to adopt the cloud automation. They already moved, maybe they made the shift or they started there, as you very well mentioned, and they see their bill constantly growing and growing. So what are like the top three tips that you would give to those folks? So a lot of it depends on your choice of underlying technology platform, right? So like, like I deal with customers that are very, very heavily microservice focused and very specifically this technology stack called Kubernetes. And for those unfamiliar with the term, I can, we can backtrack and explain what Kubernetes is to the industry and why it's going to affect all applications, including e-commerce specifically. But let me just step back and give you kind of, some general tips on uh-huh. uh, uh, from a cost perspective. The first one is kind of an anti-pattern, meaning don't lock yourself into a specific vendor. And here's what I mean: you when you when you're choosing your tech stack, you have choices that you can make. I'll, I'll give you a simple example: a database choice. Oh, every e-commerce application needs a database. Okay, well you could run your application in. Uh, open source flavor like Postgres or MySQL, as an example. Uh-huh. Or you can choose a proprietary database that's provided by a cloud like DynamoDB, which is an AWS or Amazon service. Well, DynamoDB may seem pretty attractive to you because it's serverless, you don't have to manage any infrastructure, it's just like it's, it's a give and go. Plug and play. But um, you're now always, and that's 100% true, it's plug and play. But you're going to be locked into AWS forever. So what does that mean from a cost perspective? If you want to go look at Google or Azure, well, your application is no longer portable, right? So stick with open source technologies as a long-term driver of reducing cost. The other one, um, and a lot of this depends on scale, is there's a very significant hidden cost in 
in the cloud, which is what we call egress costs. So what does that mean? When you have an inbound request from an end consumer, that's called ingress, so inbound, and you pay nothing for that traffic, right? You pay zero. Mm. When you have a uh, response to your HTML or your JavaScript payload that comes from your infrastructure to the browser, you pay for that traffic. And it's about nine cents a gigabyte. Doesn't sound like a crazy amount on paper, right? So the problem is it's very expensive relative to cost. Cloud providers do this for a reason. It's also a vendor lock-in issue, right? They want you to keep your data, right? So I always equate it to Hotel California. You know, come bring, ever check out anytime you want, but you're always <laughs> going to be with us from then on, right? Look, mm -hmm. these guys are in the business of creating moats and creating kind of monopolistic behavior. That's what kind of free enterprise drives you to, and you can't blame them for trying, but you as a consumer of that technology have to be super smart about it, right? So. Think about where you store your data, like how, what, how cost effective is getting that data out? Because there are lots of options for that that aren't just cloud specific lock and, and load. And so uh, like at larger scale, I'll give you an example of where this really plays. I have, so I have very large customers that uh, are, have these microservices that are communicating with one another. And the customers that also use multiple what are called multiple availability zones. So you brought it up earlier, in a single data center, if your data center goes down, what happens to the application? You're hosed, right? Like your single data center is your single point of failure. And the cloud, rec and the cloud recognized that very early on. So they created multiple data centers in the same region that are tied together with super fast uh, fiber optics. And they call those AZs or availability zones. Well, the best practices, distribute your application across multiple AZs. Makes total sense, right, Carlos? Like you want to be as highly resilient as possible. You don't want to have one, one you don't want to be one line cut away from your application going down. Correct. So, so I have very large customers that actually do that exact thing. They, they stick to a single AZ. Why do they do that? That sounds crazy. Well, they do that because the inter, uh, you know, the inter-AZ cost of data transfer is so high, they've said, look, we'd rather save several hundred thousand dollars a month at their scale and figure out the uh, high availability problem at the application level. So you got to watch out for all of these caveats. And one of them is the cost of traffic is very high in the cloud. It's much higher than you would pay in a data center. And you have to be really respectful of that fact when you design your application for the cloud. So one of the ways of reducing those kind of ingress and egress fees, I'll give you a concrete tip, is to use a CDN. And lots of retailers use CDNs for performance improvements. So CDN stands for Content Delivery Network. Folks will use Akamai, Fastly, Cloudflare. These are all examples of vendors that provide CDN functionality. But what they in fact do is they cache your static assets at the edge of the network. It makes the user experience super fast for end consumers, but you also pay a fraction of the money versus streaming it from the, those assets from the cloud directly. So that's kind of, I would say, tip number two or three. Um, yeah, that, that was two and three were combined into one. No, but those are great tips. That's, this is all amazing, very useful information. And so with all of this, what are also maybe some of the scenarios, right? Or a scenario where a company should not look into using cloud automation? Um, very, like if you're a small company and you're just worried about proving out your concept and getting to a, what's called a product market fit, 
Mm -hmm. Don't worry about automation. Like use, you're going to rewrite your application three times anyway, like in the course of your journey. Very few people write the first line of code and then that's the first line of code that ends up being the thing that you become wildly Carry successful on. with. Yeah, you're going to pivot, you're going to change, you're going to rewrite. Don't worry. You know, like I often, when I have a new product idea, I bring mock-ups to my customers. Like this is just a Figma diagram. It's interactive, but you can't use it yet. Just tell me, give me your raw feedback, right? So getting to that, you know, there's a great book. It's called um, The Lean Startup. Highly recommend for folks that are just getting started to read that book. It's the older, older text, but it really helps you frame the fail fast and early so that you don't mm -hmm. waste a whole bunch of money down the line for a concept that ultimately isn't going to work. So for if you're new in the business, new in e-commerce, just get started quickly. Like Shopify, Magento, whatever, off the shelf, perfect, right? It's not until you grow in scale and then you really see a product market fit that you need to think about cloud automation because that's really going to make a dent in your margin because cloud costs are going to become a significant part of your gross profit analysis. And what, what would you say is that threshold, like that that pristine threshold for those folks that are going small business, using out of the box, you know, Shopify, Square, Weebly, Wix, all of those applications that you were very well mentioned. And at what point is the right point to say, hey, let's shift and let's move over, right? As Because we have the transaction volume or because we have the, the amount of customer visits, what really should trigger that, that change and looking into that upgrade? So... I look at it like kind of as a function of the cloud bill itself. And here's my rough math, right? If mm -hmm. you're kind of spending 10 to $20,000 a month on infrastructure, like the cost that you're paying your vendors, well, what if you could cut that in half? That's an extra person you can hire. That accelerates your business significantly. So like at 500 bucks, don't worry about it. Like at a thousand bucks, you can't do much. Like, you know, it, it's meaningful mm -hmm. money but you can't really meaningfully move your business forward unless you're going to maybe invest it in inventory. But at that kind of range, at kind of the 10 to $20,000 a month range, it makes sense to cut that bill because it's just waste and hire people, invest in inventory, invest in product, whatever you're going to do. But that's already a significant uh, funding amount that will propel your business forward. Nice, nice. Leon, you are so, so skillful and so knowledgeable. Thank you so much for everything you've shared with us. And uh, I would love to continue this conversation more and more. You know, I think we definitely need like an episode two. Uh, so you can kind of give us a lay ground of what's going to be the future, you know, what people should really start looking into uh, as a platform into going forward. So how do people get a, a hold of you guys at CAST? Yeah, so just, just to kind of, before I give you the contact details, I want to, so mm -hmm. e-commerce is something that I'm super passionate about because when I came out of uh, college, even before I graduated, I started working at IBM on this very early product that they had called a WebSphere Commerce Suite. So it's 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 near and dear. Like I was one of the founding engineers, and we launched yeah. we launched LL Bean online uh, and Sears uh, catalog online in very very early days of e-commerce. So wow. I, like it's been a part of my life for the last you know 25 years. Um, and I follow e-commerce very, very closely. I think I was like 20 years old at the time or something like that. So my, uh, uh, my goal is to whatever we're doing to kind of benefit application developers in general, I always have this kind of really interesting sweet spot for, for retail and e-commerce. Circling back to your question around 
uh, how to contact us. Uh, Cast.ai. You can find me on LinkedIn and obviously connect anytime. You can just find, uh, you, you can, we'll have a link in the show notes. But I wanted to mention uh, an interesting thing. If you are using Kubernetes for your application, and it probably means you're a little bit further down the line in terms of your application sophistication, um, because you've adopted modern technologies and containerization, we have a calculator, it's a, it's, a, it's a free report. You, you um, come to the site, and you install this little agent into your cluster. And that agent does an instant analysis, and within a few minutes, you get a report that shows you what your waste is and what we would do differently at that moment in time to reduce your waste by 20, 30, 40, 50%, whatever the, the savings number is. And you can that's a free report. You can run it forever, uh, and you can take that implementation and, and do it manually. Our value in our commercial offering is we do that all automated for you. So if, if folks are interested in how much money they can save and why wouldn't you be, um, just install the agent. It's free. You don't have to talk to a sales guy and uh, give it a whirl. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah, we'll definitely put the, uh, the link you know, to the free agent so that people can run the report. We'll put it down here on the podcast so everybody can have access to it. And Leon, it was great talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. And like I said, we definitely want to do an episode two and look forward to carrying on the conversation. Thank you, Carlos. Have a great one. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, please email us at podcast at retailcorner.live or visit our website, retailcorner.live. Looking forward to having you as our guest on our podcast. And thank you so much for listening.